eyes looking at me like you're expecting me to sing. <laughs> but there is a song that says, You in the inhale, Yahweh. Come on. You in the inhale, Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh. through the whole week. And so God bumps, lumps, whatever slip, trips, and falls. You kept us. You kept us. So we honor you for who you are. Every breath. You're in the inhale, Yahweh. You're in the exhale, Yahweh. And we thank you for just being Yahweh. In the name of Jesus, we pray. with them about this. <laughs> Which end? It's yours. <laughs> so when she asked me yesterday if I wanted to click her, I'm like, I'll try it, but do this for me. Be on standby. <laughs> do not leave the area. So I'm grateful to Bishop and Pastor Jay for allowing me to stand in the pulpit today. 
And I'm grateful for all of you who showed up, even if you didn't know who it was going to be, and especially if you didn't know who it was going to be. <laughs> I'm grateful for that. Um, this is um, this series that we're in. I don't know about anybody else, but it has really, really been working with me. Um, enough is enough. Say it with me. Enough is enough. There's a song, not going to sing it, <laughs> that we used to sing when I was going to church really, really years ago. And I would sit in the back of the church and not really understand what it said or what it meant. I found out that it had been written by Elijah Hoffman, who then gave it to Charles Gabriel in 1916, who actually laid down the tracks and created the song. And the song says, I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. Some of y'all know the words. In my distress, he kindly will keep me. He ever cares, he ever loves and cares for his own. And then it says, I must tell Jesus I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. Then the next line says, I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. He is a kind, compassionate friend. If I but ask him, he will deliver and in my griefs, with me, he will blend. So the other day, I was thinking about the song, and so there are other verses, but I was thinking about, I must tell Jesus my trials. I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. And then I thought, perhaps they would have only been one verse if I told him for real about my trials. If I didn't give him the cliff note version that I give everybody else. If I had told him for real what kind of trial I was in. And so I'm like, so when we get to trouble, it must be because I failed the trial. Which means that at some point, I didn't say, enough is enough. So today we're going to say enough is enough. And i actually going to say I'm subject to it, but enough is enough. My scripture today comes from Mark. 525 through 34, and I am using the NIV version. It says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. 
he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now here's the snotty disciples. You see the crowd, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done, see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. By the time we get to Mark 25, 5:25, Jesus has already been on a healing spree. Mark dedicates more of his account of Jesus' miracles than any other gospel writers. His writings were demonstrations of Jesus' power, his power over disease, the forces of evil, and even over nature. So by the time he gets there, Jesus has already driven an evil spirit from a man in uh, Capernaum. Jesus has healed Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever. He's cleansed a man with leprosy. He's healed a paralytic who was let down through the roof. He's healed a man with withered hands on the Sabbath. He's cast demons into a herd of pigs and been asked to leave town. So by the time we get to 525, with this woman who was subject to bleeding, he's already healed and done miracles along the way. So this particular scripture appealed to me because I know that everyone in here has heard a, a sermon. Who in here has not heard a sermon on the, on the woman with the issue of blood? You, you learn it in Sunday school. You hear it almost every other women's day. And it's, it's everywhere. I mean, you're going to hear this sermon. And there's so many versions of it. But this one caught my attention because it says she was subject to bleeding. Now, in case you don't understand what subject to means, I was diagnosed some years ago with, I think it's BPPV, benign paroxysmal vertica vertigo. It's not contagious, but it can be, it can, it can cause some damage. So I'm subject to vertigo. It's chronic, but it's not constant. So it'll flare up but it doesn't stay. So I like this version about the woman being subject to because every woman in here knows that you can't bleed every day for 12 years. We all know that. Not only would she not have been too weak to make it to Jesus in the crowd, I don't see how she would have lived. You cannot bleed every day for 12 years. So this version says she's subject to it, which means she has a chronic condition, but she's not always bleeding. But the parameters for that kind of condition was already set. Now, that's the hard part. Because even though she wasn't bleeding for every day and wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't bleeding every day for 12 years, the Mosaic law said that if she had an issue that lasted longer than seven days, 
all of her days of issue were considered unclean. That's in Leviticus 15, 25, all of her days. Which meant then that whether she bled every day or not, she was still off limits to the world. Whether she bled uh, seven days, didn't bleed the next seven days, bled eight days and didn't bleed the next 15, she was still off limits. The parameters had already been set. The consequences were already out there. She couldn't have physical contact with anybody. Anything she touched was unclean. If she was in public, she had to declare herself to be unclean. So she spent 12 years in isolation. We don't know if she was married, but if she was married, her husband would have had to leave her. We don't know if she had children, but if she did, her, somebody else would have had to raise her children. We just know that she had been declared unclean because of this particular issue, so she had to live in isolation. Now, I know every one of us in here in 2019 thought about how great it would be to spend some isolation in 2020. <laughs> just, if I could just get a week of isolation where I don't have to deal with nobody in 2020. That's like, Jesus, that's my prayer for the new year. Can I just get some time to myself? Well, I ain't got to be around people, and I ain't got to be, you know, this, that, and the other, and then 2020 hit. And guess what? Isolation. We had one year and a little more of isolation, and people act like they can't drive now. It's like they, they don't know how to do anything anymore because they've been in the house for so long. And every one of us who wanted some isolation in 2019 started saying, God, when can we go back out and play? Because that isolation turned out to be way more than we thought it was going to be. Just like, God, if I could just get some peace. He's like, oh, you got some. So can you imagine 12 years of not being able to have physical contact, to have to stand way back from anybody that you spoke to or talked to, to have to walk through the place declaring yourself to be unclean, which is what I felt like every time I had to put on a mask, that I was declaring myself possibly unclean. Don't get too close. Six feet, please. You know, so it's, it's it, can you imagine 12 years of that? Not being able to touch your children if you have children. Not being, at, well, I'm not going to say not being able to touch your husband because I'm pretty sure he moved on if she is married. But... The consequences, <laughs> Peace life, but I'm sure she moved on, he moved on. But we know that the law determined the consequences. Even though her issue was chronic, her, her disorder was chronic but not constant, we know that it had already been determined that she had to follow certain guidelines. Today I want to just talk for just a little bit about the fact that every one of us was born subject to. Every one of us was born subject to. We were sub, if you were born into a family that had diabetes, you're subject to it. If you're born in, you were born into a family where everybody smoked, guess what? You're subject to it. If you were born into a family of alcoholics where everybody from granddaddy, grandmama on down, you're subject to it. If you were born into a space of anger, you're subject to it. 
If you were born into a family that didn't know how to manage their money, didn't know how to do what they needed to do to, to prosper or to be okay, you are subject to the same trials that, so the thing is, if you were born into it, it's chronic, but it doesn't have to be constant. See, you don't have to do what everybody did or didn't do. It's chronic, but you don't have to spend all your money. It's chronic, but you don't have to stay drunk. It's chronic, but you don't have to stay angry. It's chronic, but you don't have to be the meanest person on the block. It's chronic, but you don't have to be the nastiest person at the job. It's chronic, but you don't have to be that. It can be chronic, but it don't have to be constant, and it certainly doesn't have to be something that you pass on and on and on to everybody in the family just because somebody has to say, enough is enough. Somebody has to say it. But most of the time, if we think it's not constant, it's because we think we've got it under control. So if we think we've got it under control, we go into the I don't always. I don't always cuss people out. I don't always yell at my dog. I don't always treat people like they're nothing. I don't always spend all of my, all of my money. I don't always flirt and make my spouse feel disrespected. I don't always treat people in the worst possible way I can. I don't always. We use the I don't always. And the, the I don't always is because we don't always. But that doesn't change that it's chronic. Because if you're still doing it, if you still do it at any time, it's still in you. It's still in you. So whether you do it all the time or not, whether you're getting the consequences or not, somebody is suffering because... It's chronic, but it's not constant, which means then that they don't always know when it's going to flare up. That means that, well, let me just be truthful. When we were little, our mom had come from a family of anger, which means that she wasn't always angry, but there were a lot of days one of us would sit on the porch to give the signal to the other one. We could tell by the way the car door slammed. Well, it was going to be one of those days. And we would yell to the other one, um, hope you picked up your stuff like mama told you to because it was chronic, it wasn't constant, and we didn't know when to expect it. And that's the way some of our issues are. But we believe we don't need Jesus for it. In fact, there are a lot of people who say, oh, yeah, I know I do this. I know I spend all of my money, but I make the money, and I like a good sale. So if I have to come and borrow some money from you, I don't always borrow it. <laughs> some people say, you know, I don't, I don't always stay out all night, but if I do, I'm grown, and I didn't stop being grown since I got married. Uh, trouble. Yeah, doesn't mean I'm messing around because I stay out all night. I don't always do it. We get that, I don't always. So why you all been out of shape? And don't be saying I need prayer, and please stop telling them people on the prayer line all my business. 
Don't be bringing my name up on that prayer line. I don't need prayer. I don't need to have a little talk with Jesus. The next time I hear my name on that prayer line, yeah, because I don't always. I got this. I can handle this. I can do this thing. I got it. Leave me alone because I don't always. It's chronic, but it's not constant. But at some point, enough has to be enough. It's hard to get to the place of enough is enough. This woman, I can't imagine how many times she got there, but didn't see any hope didn't believe that anything could happen differently for her. I know that she spent time with doctors who were supposed to be, you know, helping her through it. Who you letting speak into your struggle? Because if you read the account of her, she only got worse. There were a few things that they said you could do if you had this particular problem. Let me give you two of them. One said, set her in a place where two ways meet. So I'm thinking, set her in some place where north meets south, east meets west. I, I, I'm not sure. He said, let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand. We already heading down the wrong road. <laughs> said, and then let somebody come from behind and frighten her. I guess they mean yell boo. And say, arise from thy flux. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like the cure for hiccups. Right. <laughs> uh, mine is the wine. But she paid for that. She paid a doctor to say that to her. The other one was, have the afflicted woman carry barley corn, which, first of all, I do not know what barley corn is. But here's the other part. It said the barley corn had to have been taken from the droppings from a white she donkey. I think we all know what droppings mean. So that was supposed to be one of her cures, and she paid to have somebody tell her to carry donkey poop. She paid for that. But to be truthful, some of us have been willing to accept the kind of advice from people for the things we are subject to there's no better than drinking wine and carrying poop. But we let these people speak into our life. We allow these people to step in and tell us how we should live better, how we should be better, how we can get better. Psalm 143, 3-5 says, don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. When they breathe their last, return to the earth, and all their plans die with them, but joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. That's the New Living Translations. She, you know, she sought expert help. It made her worse. Some of us, including myself, would try everything but Jesus to get healed. And the other thing is, I can tell you that there are experts everywhere when it comes to your problem. Be, be mindful, be watchful of people who, are, who always got a word for you about your problem. They're not even using the same word on their life. 
be mindful because the only thing they can do is make your condition worse. When I saw Jesus for my struggle, it was after some hard and long thought. Now, now, now here's the problem. I was pretty certain what Jesus' action plan for my life was, was going to be something I didn't want to do. It's going to be some stuff I didn't want to hear. I, I, I knew I would be required to understand rather than fight to be understood. I figured I would have to forgive and apologize. I figured I would have to change my attitude and check my altitude. Get off of my high horse thinking about my own goodness. I just figured I wasn't ready for all that. I mean, you know, I'm like everybody else. I'm essentially a good person. I'm just misunderstood. So I, I, I do not understand why people are always upset with the things I say and do. I mean, I'm, I'm essentially a good person. I'm essentially a good person. I, I don't know why uh, people get upset. I, I, I don't understand. I, I'm, I'm just misunderstood. So Jesus became my last resort instead of my first resource because I was just a misunderstood person. Why should I run to Jesus? Because y'all didn't understand me. Not my problem. Not my problem. But I was in the crowd every Sunday. I was in the crowd along with everybody else bumping into him. I was in the crowd bumping into Jesus every Sunday just like everybody else. And every Sunday I still went back home subject to all the stuff that was wreaking havoc in my life. Because I wasn't ready for the plan that Jesus had for me. The words subject to are actually in the dictionary. When you leave here today, look it up. They're actually in the dictionary as adjectives, and it says being under domination, control, or influence. Which means if I'm subject to it, I'm being dominated by it. I'm being controlled by it, and I'm certainly being influenced by it. And here's the everyday definition, whether it's all day, every day, or just every now and then, whatever you can't stop doing, you are a slave to it. Now, that's all day, every day. And everybody connected to you is not only being dominated by it, but they're being influenced by it. There comes a point when you got to say, no matter what it is, enough is enough. If when you're using, no matter what the substance is, if even the dog starts looking for a place to hide, time to decide enough is enough. If any of your behaviors makes your spouse feel disrespected, don't get upset when, it brings it, when they bring it to your attention. If anybody else other than yourself made your spouse feel disrespected, you'd want to go to war. So why would you? Why would you do it? Time to say enough is enough. Let me go old school about staying out all night. This is from down south. They said, ain't nothing good, holy, or righteous happening in the streets at 3 a.m. in the morning. Nothing. Nothing. Oh, you, you can say I ain't doing nothing. But ain't nothing good, holy, or righteous happening in the streets at 3 a.m. If your spouse ain't with you, you need to get to the house. Ain't nobody that grown. Nobody. Ain't nobody that grown. Enough is enough. Anytime spending puts you in the position of having to borrow somebody, you might be making the money, but
but obviously not enough money. And definitely not enough money for $300 shoes or $400 purses. Enough is enough. It's time to set up a budget and stick to it. Don't be a slave to a fashion you can't afford. Sometimes we just get caught up in slavery to some stuff that we can't afford, whether we can't afford it emotionally, whether we can't afford it spiritually, whether we can't afford it financially. There are some things that we are becoming slaves to that we can't afford. We absolutely can't afford. When we talk about Jesus being the breath in our body and then the minute something crazy knocks our breath out and we think that's got to be the thing that we got to chase, we're in trouble. Don't get caught up in what everybody else is doing if you can't afford it mentally, morally, spiritually, and most of us can't. There are some things that we need to say enough is enough before we even start it. It's like, oh, I saw what that did to them. I see how that's breaking them down. I'm not going to go that way. I grew up in a family of alcoholics. By the age of 16, I recognized that I'm going to like this stuff. I can't afford it. So I made a decision at 16 that I was not going to be subject to alcoholism. I was not going to be a slave to it. I was not going to be dominated by it. I was not going to be influenced by it. And I was able to get away because I made up in my mind with a whole lot of prayer and asking God to give me the strength to step away from what that was to not let it become the domination thing in my life. I was, in fact, what he did was actually put fear in me. I became scared of alcohol. I became scared of being around it, scared of smelling it, scared of being too close to it, scared of being around too many people who had it. And that fear carried me all the way to I got the strength to stand on my feet flat-footed and tell everybody, I don't do this. This is not who I am. I, I'm not going to be caught off in it. A few weeks ago, oh, a few weeks ago, Bishop said, we need a supernatural strategy to change our trajectory. Oh, when he said that, I'm like, I like that saying. Now, that may sound spooky, because, you know, some stuff just sounds kind of like, Okay, what I got to do? I got to burn some candles. I got, to, I got to do incense. What I got to do? It sounds spooky. But one thing I know it doesn't mean is carrying around barley corn droppings from a donkey. I definitely know it doesn't mean that. It does mean, Romans 8, 15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Here's what I like about the word adoption. If you've ever seen a kid who's been adopted by some people, you know how we all stand back and say, Ooh, you can't even tell that that kid is not theirs because that kid looks just like their mom and dad. If you didn't know they were adopted, you wouldn't know they were adopted. But it's not the looks. It's the characteristics. We have been adopted into sonship and daughtership. So our characteristics 
should look just like Jesus. So that stuff in us that people see, that they can say we look just like Jesus, but it isn't. It's our characteristics. That adoption should change everything about you. You should act like Jesus. You should think like Jesus. You should strive every day to be like Jesus. You should, when somebody tells you, whew, I think I see Jesus in you, tell them, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, you sure do. It's not anything spooky. Romans 8, 15, allow yourself to be adopted. One of the things it means is doing something you've never done before. Your trajectory changes when you face your own truth, the real truth, not the cliff note version, the one that you give folks around you because you don't want them in your business, the one you give people to pray for even though it ain't the real truth, the real truth. You got to face your own truth, then get in God's word and seek his truth. God's truth will, first of all, stop you from taking someone else's inventory. You know, it's real easy to sit back and say, if I was them, I wouldn't. And did y'all see them do? And it's so much easier to take somebody else's inventory than to take your own. Have you noticed that when you're in a real bind, you start looking around to see whose bind is worse than yours? That's taking somebody else's inventory. That's not getting into your own truth. Let me tell you something. If you face your own truth, the lies of others won't kill you. But what we do is we allow the lies that other people destroy us because we're not willing to face our own truth. We sit back and say, that's not true of me. Yes, it is. But you don't want to tell the truth. Don't let other people's lies destroy you. Face your own truth. The other is it means getting in the crowd for real. Get in the crowd for real to touch Jesus, not just bumping, not just say we had a good service, I felt Jesus in the room, I, 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 I felt the power, it means come for the power for real, come for the healing for real, stop caring about who's watching you, stop caring about who might be talking about you, stop caring about who's caring about what you're doing, come for the power for real, come for it for real. Don't just come sit in the crowd and say, and, and just bump into Jesus. Stop trying to hold on to your ego. I don't know. I'm sure some of you in here have heard the acronym that says that ego means easing God out. Stop coming and easing God out. Come let God in. Let him get into the space you are in with the struggle that's going on in your life and leave out changed. Stop easing God out. The other one is, it means get your faith up. All these t-shirts, faith over fear. It means don't just wear the t-shirt. Don't just wear the bracelet. Don't just wear the cap. Don't just wear all, the, all of it that says, you know, don't even put it. Don't just do that. <laughs> it means, it means come believing for your healing. Accept that your struggle is intersectional. Now that sounds spooky too. But what it really means is that any one problem you've got begins to create another problem, which begins to create another problem, 
which begins to create another problem. And the real problem is none of us want to go back to the original problem and figure out how we can dig the core of that thing out so that we can get, begin to get well for real. Stop acting like it's something all deep and spooky. You know what happened to you that made you become who you are right now. Get back to the real problem. Get back to the problem that created the problem, that created the problem, that created the problem, that created the problem. Work your way backwards. Get to the real thing. Get to the core of that thing. Dig that thing up. Oh, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. You're going to spend some sleepless nights. You're going to spend some time not wanting to look at yourself in the mirror. You're going to spend some time not wanting to be around people. You're going to spend some time not wanting nobody to speak to you because you don't want to go out with everything. But it's the real problem that you got to get to. Stop making excuses for whatever it is that you're subject to right now. Because the real subject started way back then. The stuff you won't talk about. The stuff you won't face. The stuff you won't get honest about. The stuff you don't even want to tell Jesus about. The stuff that you bypass if it even comes up on your lips. You don't even want to tell Jesus. Song says, I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I must tell Jesus all of my burdens. I must tell him all. Who else you going to tell all to? Start there. Start there. You know, you can even start with Jesus you know. You don't have to give him the whole story because Jesus already knows. You're right. Jesus you know. But you can say, Jesus you know, on April 13th, 1999, you don't even have to, because Jesus knows what happened on that day. But you gotta, you gotta get honest even with Jesus. Most of us try to tell him some stuff. And it's really funny because you, you tell him what you want your life to be. Right. You don't tell him your real story. Well, you know, Jesus, that, that kind of hurt me. And that's why I'm feeling so sad right now. And Jesus is like, now see, I remember it clearly. It didn't just hurt you. You cussed out everybody in the room. Called, talked about everybody's mama and ran out and slammed the door. Stop telling Jesus the cute thing because you think he don't know the real story. You know, Jesus, in case you didn't know, I did say some things that were not okay. He's like, oh, I know. Oh, I know. You're the one that's acting like you don't know. Tell the real truth. Tell him everything. That's hard. Nobody wants to tell the whole story, not even to Jesus. But you know, Jesus is asking, who touched me? Not who bumped me. And I, I, I just got to tell you, the reactions of the, of the disciples, the reactions of the church people, the church leadership, <laughs> was really bad for me. It's like, you see all these people? You want us to pick out one person. You want, but Jesus knew, but he was teaching. He was teaching at that moment. That was a teaching moment for Jesus. What he wanted everybody in the crowd to know, in spite of who bumped into him, 
that only one person came with the faith to get power. Only one person. Everybody in the crowd touched him. One person left with the power. One person. He was teaching even to his disciples to understand that when you're in this environment and I'm here too, there's power in this space. There is healing in this space. There's deliverance in this space. There's peace. There's everything you need in this space. No matter how many people bumped into me, one person came with the faith to believe that they could leave here with some of the power that was in this space. How many times have you been in the space where the power is? Bumping into Jesus, not leaving with the power that's available. How many times have you been right near him when you have felt, sensed that he was in your space, in your face, and because somebody was looking, because you didn't want people to see you cry, because you didn't want people to try to wonder what your story is. You didn't want people to know that things were going on with you and you were going through. You sat there, not reaching for the power, because other people. I was at this one particular church, and every Sunday, when they opened the doors of the church, there was this one man, even if nobody else came, he came every Sunday. Came down the aisle. When they said, would you like to commit your life to Jesus? He came every Sunday. Can I tell you that I'm sitting there and I'm hearing people say, why does this man come every Sunday? Why does he come down the aisle every Sunday? Didn't he just come down and commit his life to Christ last Sunday? And here he is again. And one day I just turned to the people I was sitting with and said, he's the only one that's getting it right. It, we don't know what his week has been like. We don't know how many times he stepped away from Jesus. In fact, every one of us had a moment where we probably need to go down that aisle today and recommit our life to Christ. Every one of us. I'm like, he's not getting it wrong. Those of us who are sitting here looking like we got it all together, we ain't had no problems, we ain't had no struggles, we ain't stepped away from Jesus, we ain't told nobody off, we've not cut somebody off in traffic, we've not treated somebody like they were nothing, we've not talked crazy to our kids, we've not talked crazy to our boss or the people who work for us. Those of us sitting here like we got it all together are denying who we were just last week, possibly just yesterday. We need to come down the aisle every day. We need to recommit every day. We need to say, Jesus, I got to tell you all of my trials. I got to tell you all of my troubles. Because this week I had a bucket full of both. We all need to stop trying to look like we got it together. We need to get honest about the trials, about the troubles, about the stuff we're subject to. We need to get honest about the times we sat in the midst of healing, the midst of deliverance, and was more afraid of what the person on the back row was thinking about me than what Jesus could do for me. We need to get honest. We need to get real. There's a statement I read 
and I, I, I printed it because it says, we want to get possession of the power and use it. God wants the power to get possession of us and use us. But we don't want to come for the power. We are too afraid of what everybody's going to say because we came for the power. I don't know if you're sitting out there today thinking, what happens if I, who got a title or who look like I've got it together, who look like I'm all that, were to come and say, I'm in a real battle today. I'm in a real struggle today. We can keep believing we got everything under control. We can keep believing we're not hurting anybody. But even if we personally are not seeing any consequences, people we care about are getting hurt. Somebody has to say enough is enough. We try convincing ourselves and others that that's not really who we are when we do things that we know are wrong and we, knew th we do things that we know are, are not right. But the truth is, every behavior that you repeat becomes you. It becomes you. It may not have been you when you did it the first time. It may not have even been you when you did it the second time. But by the fourth or fifth time, that behavior has become you. Everything that you are subject to, that you allow to run your life, dominate you, control you, uh, everything that you don't say enough is enough to, everything that you don't say this is not something that's going to take over my entire life because I only do it every now and then, everything that you allow to creep into your life becomes you at some point. And at some point, everybody that cares about you becomes subject to it. There are things that you would never want your kids or your family, your mom or anybody else to be subject to from someone else. But you do it. You do it. And then you use the, I don't always do that. And everybody know that's just me. You know. Everybody know that's just me. You, you, they know I don't mean nothing by it. I don't mean no harm. Those things. Those things that you have to excuse like that are the things you need to take a look at. Anytime you got to say, everybody know I'm just like that and I don't mean no harm, you need to really look at that thing. You need to look real hard at that thing. Because if you got to excuse it, it's probably something you shouldn't be doing. It's probably something you should walk away from and say, that's not who I am for real. If you got to make excuses for it, shouldn't be doing it. If you got to tell people, oh, you know, I, 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 I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. You, you know, I just, sometimes my mouth just gets away from me and yeah, yeah. When you have to excuse it with that kind of stuff, it's probably something you shouldn't say. There is a scripture, it's not coming to my head right now, but it's in somewhere. It says, set a guard over my mouth. 141.3. Yeah. 141.3. Set a guard over my mouth. I like the version that actually says, set a guard over my lips. 
Because, you know, sometimes you ain't got to say nothing. You can just do your lips and you. So it's like, set a guard over my lips, God, because I'm about to twist my mouth up. Is everybody about to know I'm holding back on saying something? So set a guard over my lips, God. Don't allow me to wreak terror and havoc in the household or on people that I come into contact with and on people that I have to be with all the time. God, don't let me have to say, y'all know that's just me, about some behavior that shouldn't just be me. Help me, God, to get it together. Help me to, to, to walk into the room. Let me surprise somebody today, God. <laughs> Let me walk in and smile and speak to everybody. Tell everybody they look good and I'm glad to be with them. Let me, let me wreak that kind of havoc. But the people who were poor to tell me off, now don't have any space for it. Let, let me do that. Let me flip the room with that. Set a guard over my lips. But we know that if it's, it's a guard over my lips, it's got to be a guard over my heart. So... It doesn't start in the heart, so it can't even make it to my lips. Whatever you're subject to, that you've allowed to become chronic, and that you've allowed to become constant, or even if it's inconstant, God has a fix for that. He says that the woman was subject to bleeding, but she left without it. Whatever you're subject to today, you can leave without it. If you're in the crowd for real to touch him, you can leave without it. You can, you can leave it right here. You can ask God for the same kind of peace, the same thing that he did for the woman subject to bleeding. You can, you can ask him for it, and you can ask him in earnest, and he will handle it for you. The song says, Jesus can fix it. <laughs> Jesus alone. Jesus can fix it. I must tell Jesus. Tell him all. Ooh, cliff note versions sound good. And if you're like me, there were days you only came to church when your story looked like you wanted it to be. When if somebody asked you your story, you could tell them like you wanted it to be. You know, I'm not going today because somebody's going to ask me how I'm doing, and I don't want to lie, so I'd rather stay home. So, but what better place to go for the prayer? What better place to go for the company to, to be in fellowship to help, to help you begin to be okay with your story? But I know that there are people who stay at home until their story is just like they're willing to tell it. And you know, because when you ask them, now they got a two-hour story for you. Well, you know, and you already know that they've been gone for a month because their story wasn't like they wanted it to be. You're in the crowd. You're in the crowd. Because here's what I love. If Jesus didn't want to be bumped, nobody would have bumped him. If he didn't want to be touched, nobody could have touched him. Nobody could have touched or bumped. But he allowed the power. He's allowing people to bump. He's allowing you to get up close on him. What's your decision about that today? What's all of it? What, what is your decision about that today? Is there something that you would like to not leave here with today? 
something that you would like to be honest about, something that you would like to give to Jesus, to just put it in his hand, to just allow him to let you leave without that particular burden. For some of us, especially those of us who are mothers, sometimes the biggest thing we carry into this church is our children because we refuse to give them to Jesus. We carry them just like, you know, them donkey droppings. We carry our kids just like that from place to place, from place to place. And Jesus is saying, well, first of all, I'm the only one that can handle it. And yet you're still carrying them. You're the one that won't release them, won't let me touch them, because you keep getting in the way trying to be there, Jesus. And it's hard. I, I, I know moms. I'm, I'm probably worse one about that, and I'm preaching to myself right now, <laughs> that I need to figure out how to just let Jesus fix it because Jesus alone, he says, the song says alone. Jesus alone can fix it. I don't even need to be in Jesus' way as he's trying to do it, but I do. Huh. If you're in this crowd and you've never, or you don't believe, or you've never allowed yourself to not just bump Jesus, you've not allowed Jesus to actually do an exchange of power with you, not allowed him to put his hands totally on whatever your struggle is, I'm going to ask you today to just sit where you are for a moment. Think about the thing that you have been holding back from Jesus. Just think about it for just a little bit. I'm, I'm going to ask you to take a few seconds. You know what's funny is because we're so used to songs and hallelujahs and clapping our hands and, and talk back, that when it's really silent in the church and it's you and Jesus sitting in your seat, it can sometimes feel kind of odd. It's, it's hard to quiet yourself down and not look around to see if anybody else is doing what's been asked. It's, it's hard to just, to just be. But every second that you're willing to just be, to just allow yourself to be in Jesus, just allow yourself to see his hand on your problem, to see his hand on your struggle, the easier it is to walk out of here believing that you left it in that seat, that you left it right where you were sitting. So I'm going to pray. God, we are grateful to you. We thank you for being who you are. Lord, help us to acknowledge our limitations. 
help us to acknowledge that we're only as limited as we limit you. That we allow you to every aspect, every area, all the things that are in our life, then God, all things, because we know that you say all things work together for good. We know that all things, no matter how big the struggle is, no matter how hard the problem is, no matter what we're subject to, no matter how many things we've acted out on, no matter how much stuff has given us consequences or caused us to not to be the best we can be, we know, God, that you can overturn all of those things if we just trust you. We know that we can give it all to you and you will release us from all of the things that are causing us to bleed out. All of the things, every area of our life that we're bleeding out in, God, we ask you to come into that now and give us the opportunity to be all that we can be in you. God, that exchange of power, that exchange of power where we get the power and then you use us with the power. We honor you right now, God, for this moment, for this time in this church. We honor the pastor and, and the bishop of this house. We ask God for safety and, and, and that you'll be a hedge of protection around them and every member of their family. We ask God that you'll be a hedge of protection around everybody in this church. We love you, God, because we know that you are. We just need to trust you. That you alone can help whatever struggle So we bless you right now, God, and we give you the glory. We ask that you hear this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ.